been to Mystic Seaport. It's an amazing place. It's eye-opening into our history is what, what our sailors, what our whalers used to go through to provide oil for the lamp. It's a fascinating study. Personally, I love the way they make rope. Haven't been in the business, and even now, I love a piece of rope. You can do more things with rope, tying things up. Easy to get knots undone if you know how to use a piece of rope. <laughs> so if you want to go take advantage of it. Prayer request. For the next, I guess actually a couple months through probably September, Pastor Dave is going to be focusing on his Ph.D. work. We're not filling in for Pastor Dave. But there's a few of us who are going to be speaking from the pulpit while he works on his Ph.D. That's a prayer request. I hope in your daily life, Pastor Dave, in his messages from the pulpit, is a part of your prayer life and a recognition of the necessity of him preaching, teaching the word of God that we should grow. Now there's going to be, well, I'm pretty sure Mark, Mike, myself, and I think there's others who I'm not sure of yet, hasn't been decided, will be in the pulpit. We need your prayers. You need to pray for us that you will be benefited by what the Lord gives us. If you were asked, next Sunday I would like you to fill pulpit supply, what immediately comes into you? (laughs) No, I can't. We can't. It's a fearful thing to teach the Word of God. Here's the Lord's people sitting here, and we're going to tell you what the Word of God says. That is an awesome, terrifying responsibility. Pray for us. And by praying for us, you pray for yourselves. That you will get word from the Word of God that you can grow. We're in Peter. Famous verse in Peter. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Simple verse, but it's not. Because it gives the analogy of a newborn babe. How does a newborn babe grow? Milk in the mouth. That's not the end of it. If you know newborn babes, a lot of them can't keep the milk down. They cannot digest. And therefore, adjustments. We have formulas. We have all kinds of ways to help the baby digest the food taken in. For us as believers, the word in our ear does nothing for growth. The word in our ear meditated on, thought on, and applied to an area of our life that we make a change, conforming ourselves to Christ, that's growth. Hearing is not growth. Reading is not growth if the digestion isn't taken into effect. So as you read the word on your own, as you study the word, digest it. And if it doesn't have an effect on your life, It's not digested yet. Another time, maybe, in the Lord's time. But it is important that we work to understand the word of the Lord that we can conform 
to it. So pray for us. This isn't a light thing that those of us who are be speaking to us do this. It's a scary thing. And so pray for us. Father, it is not our ability to give understanding to the word of God. It's your ability to teach us and it's the work of your Holy Spirit to give understanding. So I pray that these days will not be considered not as important as any other. For every time we focus on your word, it is you we are focusing on. It is your revelation for us to understand. Give us that understanding and the grace to apply it to our lives. Glorify yourself this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. We are in 1 Peter. In this section of 1 Peter, in chapter 3, starting in chapter 2, we had an example from Christ. Last time that we spoke about Peter, in verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Notice, the example requires an action. Now, when we went through this passage, he didn't, he didn't, when we reviled, he riled out again. He didn't answer back. Well, is that what we're supposed to learn? If somebody says mean things to you, don't say mean things back. That's it? Well, you know, he was bruised, beaten. Well, we should just be allowing ourselves to be bruised and beaten. That's what we're supposed to learn? No, what we learned is that what Christ was doing, his purpose governed his actions. So the example that we pick up from Christ that Peter gives us is that we are to follow his example, the purpose for which he did it. Now when it comes to government, submit to government, what is our purpose in submitting to government? It's to reveal God, to show righteousness. The place where we work, what is our purpose? To reveal God, to be witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will be witnesses. So in our work, yes, we're diligent. We work hard. Work hard unto Christ. But our purpose is to reveal Christ, to reveal the righteousness of God. Now we come to the woman. Anybody ever heard, heard a message on woman? In chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, just like Christ submitted to his purpose, woman, submit to your own husband. That's it. Do what you're told. That's it. That's all we're supposed to learn. Whatever your husband says, that's what you're supposed to do. So what we're going to do is take a look on the purpose of the woman's submission. Why? Why should she be subject to her husband? The word subject, to arrange oneself under, to be subordinate, to subject, to obey, subject oneself to obey, submit to one's control. 
to yield to one's admonition or advice, to obey, to subject. That's the simple meaning of the word. That really doesn't tell us why. What, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? Turn, if you will, to Genesis. Chapter 1, starting in verse 6. You'll notice there's something on the screen, but nothing of mine. So you'll learn to use your Bible. <laughs> Mike asked, asked if I was going to use this computer. I could light, turn the lights off if I push a button on this computer. That's my ability. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. Now notice, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the earth, and everything that crawls. Oh God, he, let me see. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created him male and female. Now we find the them. God talks about them as one. The male and the female are one being. Mankind is one. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So them have a responsibility under God to perform. Get that. Them, the man and the woman, have a responsibility under God to perform what he commanded them to do. God said, Behold, I've given everything plant yield. Well, we won't go there. Verse 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter Genesis 2, verse 18. Then God said, It's not good for man. Now we're getting behind the scenes here. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now we find the man, it's not good for him to be alone. This suitable helper completes him. It's not good for him to be alone. He needs a helper, somebody with him to minister what God, remember? They are going to minister over what God commanded them to do. She is going to help him do that. She is a helper. Uh, down in verse uh, 20, the man gave name to livestock, birds of the sky, animals of the field. Adam, there, uh, let's see, but for Adam there was found no helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam, and the Lord took out of him his rib, closed up the wound, verse 22, and the Lord gave fashion unto the woman's which he had taken from the man. And he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is bone of my bone, 
Catch this. Every living thing at this point was made of the dust of the earth. Adam was made of the dust of the earth. Everything else was made of the dust of the earth. The woman was made from Adam. Therefore, he says, her bones are my bones. Her flesh comes from my flesh. We're one. They're not separate. They are unique. Adam said, verse 23, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be stuck, glued, cleave to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The point of this is to get this basic understanding of this relationship between the man and the woman. If you go into the culture, there is no together. It's him dominating her and her trying to dominate him. Want to deal with the politics, the placards, the sign? That constant battle between... I heard it reported of a woman who was talking to a friend and said, well, you know, if your husband was disabled, so on and so forth, what would you do? She said, I'd leave him in a minute. That's the mindset of our young people out there. Well, what if he did? Forget that. He's gone. Or I'm gone. I'm not going to put up with that blank, blank, blank for a minute. She wants her career separate from him. That is the current culture we are living in. Those people are coming into the church as new believers. That culture that's out there needs to be the light of reality, biblical reality needs to shine into that. And I'll guarantee you there will be resistance. Uh, when I, was, I used to be on, the, on uh, Facebook a little bit more and a situation came up and I answered from a biblical point of view and the women, Christian women, slaughtered me. Keep in mind, that mindset is coming into the church as new believers. This foundational truth as the older women teach the younger this foundational truth must be understood supporting everything afterward. You'll notice Peter doesn't deal with all the stuff. He's not specific. He's just laying a foundation, wives submit to be subject to your own husbands. We're seeing why, not how. We're seeing why we submit to the husbands. The second part that we see is that she is a what? Helper. This defines her role. This defines her part of the one. Now, as you sit there, and we understand there's me. 
There's the flesh part of it, but there's the thinking. There's the thought part of it. My hand helps me accomplish things. My legs, even the borrowed one, help me accomplish things. The wife, as the one with the husband, helps him accomplish God's will. It's not her will. It's God's will. We must get this understood that when we talk about husband-wife relationships, we are not talking about who vacuums, who takes the rubbish out. If that's where you're at, forget about it. You do not understand your place as a husband and wife. The husband and wife are to serve God, and each of them have their responsibilities. Often, you'll notice Peter doesn't use the word of authority. We interject authority. But Peter doesn't use the word. Authority means simply you are responsible to carry out God's will. Authority isn't independent of anybody. Authority, you, as pastor's been bringing out in government, authority is the responsibility to carry out God's will. Not your will. God's will. Father, not my will. If it's it possible, take this cup from me. Not my will, though. Your will. And I'll submit to my purpose to be the savior of the earth, savior of people. Not my will. So when the husband talks about he has authority, yes, he does, to carry out God's will. And he's got a wife to help him. The other thing that we must recognize in this idea of helper is that the wife's purpose is the God's purpose to help her with her husband. It's never anything separate. Helper. In 2.28, the word there, uh, Genesis 2.2, I'm sorry, Genesis 2.18. Then Yahweh said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a suitable easer. That's the Hebrew word, ezer, helper. So God created woman to be an ezer, helper, to man. But this word translated helper does not make her the preparation of the brunch, the donning of her husband's socks. It's not what this ezer is about. This ezer is related to God over in Deuteronomy. Where he says, uh, if you want to turn there, you don't have to make a note. Deuteronomy 33, verse 26 and verse 29. There is no one God like the God of Jeshurun, which is an affectionate term, term for Israel, for the upright ones, who rides across the heavens to help his people, and on the clouds in his majesty. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, who has a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper, your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and will, you will tread over them. God associates himself as a helper, it is not a demeaning position. It's a divine, glorious position. 
to be an easer, a helper. Easer is the masculine noun, which means helper, support. It can also refer to a helper, one who assists and serves another when there is a need. There's another word associated with easer, a noun, a verb, which describes one who comes running when he hears a cry for help, for assistance. This is a blessed position to be in, a valuable position to be in, the helper. Turn, if you will. I feel as though this is a good example to understand what a helper is. In Exodus 17, Sunday school teachers will probably remember this story. This is Moses. Verse 8, Exodus 17, verse 8. Then Elimelech came and fought against Israel. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men from us and go and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with my staff, or with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hands up and Israel prevailed. When he set his hand, uh, I'm sorry, prevailed, but when he uh, let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands were heavy. So they took a stone, assuming this is uh, Joshua and her, I mean Aaron. They took a stone and put it under him. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on each side, one another so that the hands were steady until sunset, and Joshua defeated Amalek. What do we see in these two men, Aaron? Number one, they're involved. This is a good model for the helper. They are involved in what's going on. They're children of Israel. They have responsibility before God. But what they're doing, they're out in the battlefield watching. They see what's happening. And they take the initiative of meeting the need. This is to give us an understanding of this helper. It's not a sit back and wait and to be told what to do. It's not not having a plan. It's having a plan. I'm up there on the hill. I'm watching the battle. Oh, things aren't going quite well right now. Look at his hands are falling. The staff is coming down. We need to help. Get under you. Get under his arm. I'll get on it. Let's help him. Let's get his arms up in the air. These men are willing to get involved. You see, in the idea of the helper, the woman. She's not off doing her thing. She's involved in what her husband is doing, serving the Lord together. This is a foundational truth that we must understand as believing women and men what God wants us to do and to be.
So we see, have a good idea of foundational truth when Peter says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, what she's there for, what her subjection is all about. Now we have a unique situation. If we finish out the uh, verse, back in Peter 3.1, be subject to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they be won over without the word by the behavior of the wives. Peter's building on a foundation now. We know what now this subjection is all about. In this particular case, this subjection is for the benefit of her husband. Now we have a problem. If you've studied this, if you've read any commentary, so on and so forth, you have been told that this is an unsaved man. This is how you get your unsaved husband saved. I can remember when I kind of looked at this and was thinking this over. This is not recently. I thought to myself, this really is all it's saying? She just doesn't have a believing husband? But wait a minute. Peter's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. This man obviously knows the word because he's not doing it. You're not disobedient to what you don't know. You're disobedient to what you know. This word disobedient. Now allowing oneself to be persuaded. Refusing or withholding belief. To refuse belief and ordinance and obedience. Not to comply with the word of God. Does that really only apply to an unbelieving, unsaved man? Whoever disobeyed the word of God by accident? It's always on purpose. Always on purpose. I want to show you something. Look down further in uh, to some uh, verse. Uh, this is uh, chapter three, verse eight. This is uh, Peter's conclusion of this portion. To sum up, all of you be now. Look at this: harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. For you were called for this per very purpose that you would inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit he must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Thirteen direct commands. 
Do you suppose if you're not doing that, you're in disobedience to the Word of God? I think there's a strong argument. Yes, this passage can also include an unbelieving man, but I think the focus is on the believer. The man who is not taking his proper role under God and submitting to him. So what's the wife to do? Back to verse 1. How do you win her thoughts? How do you convince him? How do you win him over? It's not, according to this passage, by nagging on him. Remember, it's not the wife's place to nag on him, to lead. It's the wife's place to help him. What does this help look like from Peter? They will be won by the behavior of the wife, as they, uh, verse 2, as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be the external, the braiding of the hair, gold rings, jewelry, putting on of apparel, but must, now here's the kicker, must be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable quality of gentleness, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. She, while he isn't, she is still serving God. She is still walking with the Lord. She's doing what he isn't. If, they're, if they were together serving the Lord and now he's got this area of his life where he is not obedient to the word of God, she is still obedient to the word of God. Paul hits on this with Timothy. If you want to make a note of it or turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to the familiarity. Therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and dispute. Likewise, just like the men here, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, discreetly, not with braided hair, not with gold or apparel or expensive apparel, but rather by means of good works is this proper for women claiming godliness. Peter and Paul are talking about the same thing. The woman is a woman following after God. It's inevitable when you get to a passage like this, women say, well, what about women working? What, we want to go in all those places. Very general, a woman can do anything she wants as long as she's doing this. The binding is not what she can't do. The binding is on what she's supposed to do. And if she can go off and be a businesswoman and still be this, you say, well, I don't know. Well, we don't have to know. That's between her, him, and God. That's not for us to judge. My point being, this is the, the foundation. This is everything. That the woman serve God helping her husband. How does her quietness serving God help? It's a testimony. I'm not going to church. You know who's preaching tomorrow. Ah, I'm not going. Well, honey, I'm going. He doesn't say for her not to. Honey, I'm going. Because this is what we're supposed to do. You don't have to say it. He knows you're supposed to do it. He knows, he's, he knows the word. 
He knows what she's doing is right, and he isn't doing what is right. Trust the Lord in this. He says the testimony of the believing wife is effective in the heart of the unbelieving, disobedient husband. You can put your faith in this. You can have hope in this, that he's going to come around. She has won. What did she win? She wins the partnership, the fellowship with her husband as they serve the Lord. She just didn't win a guy. Well, he doesn't go out drinking anymore. He stays up. No. She has won fellowship with her brother in Christ, her husband. Heirs together of the grace of God. That's been put back together when he comes out of his disobedience. In this way, verse 5, For in this way the holy women in former times hoped in God. Also, used to adorn themselves, just as we find out, in being Subject to their own husbands. Same subjection we've been talking about. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Hmm. Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now you all know that when you go to the Old Testament, you can't find where she called Abraham Lord. (laughs) So what are we talking about? Interesting word. To listen, to hearken of one who, when they hear a knock on the door, they hear it and they run to open the door. One who hearkens to a command, to obey, to obedient, to submit. She obeyed. She obeyed her husband just as she was supposed to. Now, wait a minute. What was Abraham doing? Going into a land he didn't know where it was, and she was with him, going into the land, following her husband as the Lord directed. She was going into the land. She was going to suffer the same difficulties Abraham and anybody else who went to the promised land was going to suffer. Why? Because she's involved in God's plan. Call him Lord. This is an interesting word. He to whom a person or thing belongs. No, this isn't the despot. This is a person to another person belongs. About which has power of deciding matters under the Lord. Get that? Wait a minute, we go back to Genesis. They're one. She fits. She belongs with Adam. She belonged with Abraham. They fit together. They're one flesh. She's serving him under the Lord, with the Lord. They belong together. It's not the matter of sovereignty. It's not sovereign rule. 
Peter, if you remember in chapter 1, you are strangers, he says to these Jews who have been displaced. You are strangers and aliens here. You don't belong here. Where do you belong? You belong to God. You belong to his authority. You belong to his rule. Not the rule of the country you're in. You submit to the rule of the country you're in as long as it doesn't cause you to disobey God. You don't belong here, people. You belong with Christ. When she calls him Lord, this is the one I belong with. My husband. We're together serving God. One flesh. The title is one of honor. Expresses of respect and reverence. It's also the title given to our God, whom we belong to. It's an expression given to our God, whom we belong to. Is he a despot? He's a loving, caring Savior who has saved us and wants us to understand this very little problem of the husband-wife relationship. What is it? What's it for? Paul goes into great extremes explaining all the details. But underneath the details, it's this. And it's never out from underneath this. Everything he says about the man and the woman, Paul, that is, this is the foundation of it. Sarah obeyed him, uh, Abraham, verse 6, calling him Lord. To whom you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Down in verse 13, a little clarification of this. Who then will harm you if you devote to what is good? But even when you if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your heart, regard Christ just like our Lord did. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you the reason of that's hope in you. Serving under, Sarah serving under her husband, not afraid. Not intimidated by anyone to serve him. Serving him. And that's what we are supposed to do as women of the church in this day and age. Don't be afraid to serve your husband. Don't be afraid what society says about you. You will be intimidated. You will be called names. You'll be made fun of. You'll be mocked. Don't be afraid of intimidation. Trust yourself to the Lord just like Christ did. He trusted himself to him who judged righteously. The woman follows his example and does the exact same thing. Follows him. Trust in the Lord. What makes this difficult? Well, you don't know what makes it difficult. The woman listened to the devil, went against God, and ate. And she convinced her husband to do the same, and they fell. Think about this for a minute. The Garden of Eden, up until the fall, is something we cannot comprehend. 
don't try to take the New Testament. Don't try to take what is written after the fall and apply it to the fall. I've heard it said, oh, it never would have happened if Eve had been under her husband like she was supposed to be. Eve had absolutely freedom to talk to the devil. Her problem was she obeyed him. She believed him. Adam and Eve were free. Think about it. After they realized they were naked, Adam and Eve were carrying on as human adults carry on in front of God with no fear or shame because there wasn't any. That was different. She was helping Adam just like this says. She was being what she was supposed to be. But after the fall, things changed. Genesis 3, 16, and to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall deliver children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. There are three possibilities of this passage, and I think for myself only one works. The first thought which is consistently put out is her sexual Desire is going to be sexual to her husband. Well, frankly, I don't see that a curse. Desire will be to subject be her husband under subjection and to be independent of him. It doesn't say that. Her desire will be to dominate her husband. And if you look at uh, the scriptures about that passage, this seems to fit because this is what we actually see. Woman wanting to dominate the man. You can have a wonderful Christian husband-wife relationship, but there are times the woman wants to dominate the man. It's the result of the fall. This is where the conflict comes in. How do we overcome the conflict? We go back to what was intended. The woman takes her place as a helper to her husband. Not a dominator of him. Not who's going to... If your relationship is who takes out the rubbish, what time do we have? I want dinner at 5 o'clock. That's not what it's all about. Those things have to be worked out to have a decent, orderly home. That stuff has to be worked, but that's not what this is talking about. If the husband is called by the Lord, if the husband believes he should serve in a particular area for the Lord's people, and that's going to take him out of the home, the wife is there to support him. But wait a minute, I'm going to have to, and I'm going to, and that means I'm going to have to, uh uh-huh. That's right, you're going to need to take up the slack and support the Lord's work in your husband, and you will be a part of the Lord's work by taking up what is necessary so that he can do it. You have a part in the Lord's work. When you pray for Pastor Dave in the, past, in the pulpit, when you pray for Mike, with Mark, myself, and whoever else, when you, you are helping yourself. You're blessing yourself. And you're blessing God. It's all being part of God's work. Whether you preach, teach, whether you're woman, child, obey your parents in the Lord, for it's good. Let's pray. Father, help us. We're frail. We're unthinking. We're not paying attention all the time.
often we're fixated on our own feelings, own will, what I want. Help us, one and all, to submit ourselves unto you, as your scripture says, be living sacrifices unto our God who loved us, gave himself for us. Help us. Bless Mark. Give him the words. Give him the power that comes from your Holy Spirit accompanying your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you.